You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. So friends, we are busy with a sermon series, which I'm bringing to an end today. Uh, Next week will be our family service And it is a sermon series looking at uh, encounters that people had with Jesus on or near the lake. Lake symbolic for us in this case of, of new life. And we see how Christ's encounters with these people on or near the lake resulted in revival, transformation, healing, New life. You remember I said to you last week, we've, we've been looking at these stories, and I've done so intentionally from Mark's gospel, from Luke's gospel, from Matthew's gospel, where in all these stories we, we find many different characters, but the thing we are meant to notice is that Jesus is center stage. And the idea behind it all, the big idea For me, as over the last few months I've been reflecting on these stories, is this, and I believe this is at the heart of the intent of of those who wrote this down for us, is that we see again, we come to understand again who Jesus is, what he's like, why he is here, so that you and I will come to believe in him more deeply put our our trust in him more completely, believe in him to be so much more than just a rabbi, a teacher, but the son of God, God almighty, God himself. And as a consequence of that truth, respond accordingly, surrender accordingly, worship accordingly. So that you and I will grow and flourish in 2024. So today we come to an interesting story, which is also, so by the way, or maybe some of you are like, whoa, what's happening with Yitzka's testimony? Uh, we're looking at the story of the guy on the other side, the demon-possessed guy. And, and, and our prayer team, as you heard from Yitzka, they go every year. There's this paranormal event that happens here in Amstelfein. And we figured as a church, you know what? Let's go and be there. Let's show the light of Jesus here in the darkness. And so our prayer team goes out there. And so that was a testimony from that. Uh, So today we're looking uh, at Luke's gospel, chapter 8. We're going to read the story from verse 26 to verse 33. The story of the demon-possessed guy. What a story. I do believe there is a beautiful pastoral application which I would like to make. To that story for us today. Again, coming from my own reflection over the last few months. Let's read the story. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. 
For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times he had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven um, by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. My goodness. What a story. What a story. Story of this man in absolute torment and anguish. Living among the tombs. I will never forget. I remember the first time I went to a cemetery. I was nine years old and it was for my father's funeral. And I will never forget standing there. I I, I still remember what I wore as this nine-year-old kid. But I'll never forget looking and standing in the cemetery in in this graveyard and just seeing all these tombstones. And I remember looking at all these names of of all these people, and I remember thinking to myself, just, goodness me, all this pain and suffering, and all these people have felt what, what, what we are feeling now, all those of us who had gathered here uh, for my dad's funeral, and, and just seeing these names, and just seeing all the pain, and the hurt, and the stories that must be associated with all these names on these tombstones, but can you imagine, and so I was reminded of that moment in my life when I read this story, and I cannot imagine Living in that place. I mean, being there was bad enough and just wanting to just get out of there and get back into the car and go home as quickly as possible. It was not a great place to be. And here we read of this man living among the tombs. Can you use your imagination for a moment and imagine the anguish and the, and the magnitude of this man's pain and struggle and the desperate place that he was in? Living among the tombs. There are several themes in this story. And you can stand up for the next month every Sunday and preach the story, and it will be a different sermon. There are so many themes here, but there are for me a couple of two or three uh, key themes tightly intertwined with one another that I want to focus on as we look at this story today. And the first is this. I think the first thing that we must notice Right from the get-go, right from verse 26, and Jesus got into the boat and went to the other side. The first thing we mean to notice, one of the key themes here, 
is the salvific theme or mission of Jesus. In other words, that Jesus, why Jesus is here, that Jesus is on a saving mission. That's the first thing that you and I must take note of. Here is Jesus. He's getting in a boat. He's making an extraordinary effort to get on a boat from Capernaum region and going to the other side. Most people on that side will never in their lifetimes even imagine or dream of going to the other side of the lake. But here is Jesus, and that would have been now, yes, there's some debate exactly where it was, the Gerasenes, Kersey, wherever, there were a couple of spots where it could likely have been. The point remained that either way, it would have taken around probably a couple of hours by boat to get to the other side. The thing I think we must notice here is Jesus getting in a boat, making the effort couple of hours out on the water to go to the other side. To go and find this one guy whom he did not know, maybe heard of the guy, I don't know. Think about it in modern day times. Let's, but let's translate that into, into today's terms. If you were to get in your car and travel on the motorway, sticking to the speed limit... For a couple of hours, you'd be traveling 200 or so kilometers. How far would you get? You'd be in Germany or Belgium. That's kind of what was going on here. Notice the effort that Jesus made. It wasn't just the guy down the road at the end of the street. And not just the effort that Jesus made to go and see this guy. Also, what we must note, it was the wrong guy. It wasn't a good guy. He was from the wrong side of the lake. He didn't even live on, live on the correct side of the lake. He lived in the region of the Decapolis, those 10 Greek cities who were godless and not God-fearing. The clue for us is, you know, the pig farming. People who are Gentiles, Godless people. So Jesus makes an effort to get in a boat, to travel to the wrong side of the lake, to see a guy living in the tombs. His own people had given up on him. Listen, buddy, you get out of town, we are done with you. You scare us. Here's a guy who's the wrong nationality, the wrong culture, the wrong ethnicity, the wrong faith, the wrong side of the lake, and Jesus gets in his boat. I nearly said car. And makes the effort to go and seek him out. And so we mean to see here Something about the nature and character of Jesus, who he is, what he does. And we are meant to see here, he came to seek and save the lost. Even if it's on the other side of the lake, from the wrong faith, the wrong tribe, he came 
to seek and save the lost. So I learn and I'm reminded about who this Jesus is. And I come to, as I see who he is and what he does, I come to believe in him more deeply as the son of God. And I respond to him appropriately and surrender to him appropriately and worship him more appropriately. And then the second thing that's intertwined with this theme of of Jesus' saving mission, the second thing that's tightly intertwined and flowing out of that is this, after I've taken a sip of water. We are meant to see in this story We are meant to be reminded in the story that yes, there is evil and darkness in this world. It is real that you and I have an enemy of our soul that wants to, and it also has a mission, and its mission is to keep us living in the tombs. That there is evil and darkness in the world. And can we just, Luke wants us to know, can we just not forget this? And just as Jesus has a mission, so too the devil and the enemy of our soul also has a mission and a purpose for your life. And it is ultimately to keep us from authentic faith and to keep us from this experiencing, this saving mission that Jesus is on. To keep us from experiencing the good news of Jesus Christ and the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. To keep us from growing and flourishing and experiencing fullness and abundance and joy in life. To keep us in darkness and anguish and misery, living among the tombs. And then flowing out of that, we meant to see response. We meant to see, I think as we see here, so often when we as people are confronted with pain and suffering and darkness and someone from the other side, someone we are uncomfortable with, our response is so often as this of the villagers who say, listen, buddy, you go live over there in the tombs. And so often, if we are honest, our response to pain and someone's struggle and someone's darkness and someone's suffering is a response that is fear-based and fear-informed, and it leads to us keeping our distance. We live in town, and you go live down there with the dead people. And we mean to see Jesus' response to darkness and evil and pain and suffering and anguish and torment. Where ours so often is to keep our distance, Jesus' response is to draw near. Let's read verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, 
He was met by this demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Mark's gospel goes on to give us a bit more detail about this man. So here's how this man is described in Mark's gospel, chapter 5. And I want you to listen. I want you to, I want you to hear the anguish. I want you to hear the pain. I want you to hear the suffering. I want you to hear the torment that this guy must have been living with. Mark's gospel, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the iron to his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And listen to this, night and day among the tombs, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. He would hurt himself with stones. Do you get a sense of the anguish and the agony that this guy was living with? I read this and I think about society and I think, you know what? Our society is full of people living with pain and anguish. And so often our response is to keep our distance. Or in olden days, maybe still today, I don't know. In olden days, uh, our response was to, like we read in the story, to chain them up and lock them away. I'm reminded of the 16th century. Paris, France, this is a well-known asylum. It was an asylum particularly for women who, who were in anguish and pain and suffering for whatever reason often impoverished, out on the street, would be collected, and they'd be chained up and locked away in this asylum. Until 1795 or so with the French Revolution, uh, where, where many of them were set free. But just an interesting side note. It's just, I just thought about this as I was reading the story. Interesting side note. Um, the main diagnosis that was for this particular asylum for women in anguish and torment, for whatever reason, the main diagnosis was something called hysteria. They were diagnosed as suffering with the illness of being hysterical. Interesting side note also. It was thought that the illness of hysteria was a problem with the womb. And so what they would do to treat hysteria is they would remove the womb. So by the way, which is where the word hysterectomy comes from. Side note. There is pain and anguish in the world around us. And so often our response is to lock away, to ignore, to keep our distance. We see Jesus' response, getting the boat and drawing near. That is both hopeful for us when we find ourselves in the place of anguish and struggle and pain and torment. To know that Christ will not keep his distance, but he will draw near. But it is also for us, instructional as followers of Jesus, that we are to call to go and not keep our distance from pain and suffering in this world, but that you and I too are called to seek out and draw near to the pain and suffering in the world around us. Let's talk a minute about demons, seeing as it's a story about a demon-possessed guy. Let's just talk about that for a second. So, 
I think the first thing that I said that, we, that Luke wants us to understand here is that, yes, that you and I that, that have an enemy of our soul, that evil and darkness is real. And it is to keep us from experiencing the person and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Right? Um, scripture teaches us that. And so in Jesus' time, in biblical times, demons were understood in different and interesting ways. Some saw them as um, a, a, a spirits of, of dead people who weren't buried properly, or, or, and, and so now they're roaming the earth tormenting people. Others saw them as fallen angels or, or lesser gods in some way and, and used by the devil as his tools and instruments to fulfill his mission and his purposes here on earth. Um, uh, saw them as uh, living uh, in places that were deserted or in deserts or in among the tombs, as we find in the story. It was common belief at that time. We also see how in those times certain uh, illnesses were attributed to being demons. So, for example, we read it was, it was believed and was said that if somebody had a fever, it was a demon. Or if somebody had seizures or epilepsy or blindness even or muteness, uh, depression or anxiety such as King Solomon in the Old Testament because of a lack of understanding was believed to be, okay, well, he's got a demon. Things that today we understand differently and today we see differently and understand not to be true. But I think it's important for us just to take note of that. And so as a result, we find, we do find this. So remember I said, yes. Evil, demons, darkness, absolutely, okay? But also, we, we, I, I do need to say that we do find this terminology and this idea of being demon-possessed thrown around quite a lot for someone if they just had a fever. If someone was just depressed or anxious, uh, then it was thought to be that because of a lack of understanding. I mean, so much so that we see in Matthew 11, verse 18, that the religious leader said, John the Baptist had a demon. Wait. In Matthew 12, verse 24, uh, the religious leader said, Jesus was casting out demons by the power of a demon. So in other words, the only reason you can do it, Jesus, is because you are one. Then in John's gospel, three times, in chapter 7, verse 28, verse 48, and 10, 20, it was said that Jesus himself was demon-possessed. Because what we find is often when, when somebody said something or did something that the authorities did not like or understand, it was attributed to, well, must be a demon. So I want to say this, that yes, Scripture teaches us clearly and the reality of evil. Working against God's plan in our lives. But I also say we need to understand that in biblical times, often things were attributed to that today we understand not to be the case. The point, however, I believe of this story, and here, if you take notes, here's what you must write down. Here is the point, the key thing I think Luke wants us to get in the story, and now we begin to get to the message from you and me living in the year 2024. The point we must see is this. The power differential between Jesus and the demons. 
That's what we're meant to see. And it's written in such a way that Luke wants us to see this. Mark wants us to see this. The power difference between Jesus and the darkness. The power difference between Jesus and the anguish and the torment and the affliction. Even if it's a demon, notice there is a massive power differential. So, Mark Gospel Mark's gospel tells us about this man, and he makes a point to write, he was so strong, not even steel could secure this man. Mark writes that deliberately so that we can see. No one could do anything about him. Not even chains could hold him until Jesus shows up. Read Luke again. Verse 27, verse 28. When he saw Jesus, so the scene has been set, nothing and no one can do anything to help this guy. This is the depth of his anguish, his torment, and the darkness that he is wrestling with. No one can do a thing. When he saw Jesus, He cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. Luke wants us to see this enormous power gap, this enormous power differential. He wants us to see that Jesus hadn't even done anything yet. He hadn't even said, he's not even done or said a thing. Luke wants us to see it's not even a contest, people. It's a no fight. It's an unfair fight. The power of Christ over the deepest of darkness that we could ever face in life. The power differential is immense. That there is no darkness, no pain, demon or otherwise, that can stand up to the power of Jesus Christ. Over the power of the gospel message. Then carries on. Then Jesus says, what's your name? Interesting passage. Uh, Legion. Uh, which means, could be maybe a little bit of political satire as well, referring to the Romans that had moved in, the Roman legions that are there. Jesus must drive them into the pegs. Get these Romans out of our land. So it could be a bit of politics there, but I think we meant to see here is, what's your name? Legion. Roman Legion was a group of soldiers that numbered anything between 4,000 and 6,500 soldiers was a legion. And so when asked, what's your name? Legion. The point Luke is making, listen, this wasn't just even one demon. This was like 6,000 of them. So no matter even the number of them, Luke wants us to note the power differential. Even if it's thousands of them, it doesn't matter. They keep begging for mercy. Even if there are thousands of them. And then in verse 32, they beg for mercy. And what Jesus does is he takes them and he sends them in essence back into the abyss, right back to hell where they belong, right back where they came from, the darkness back into the abyss. Even if it's so overwhelming, thousands of them, it doesn't matter. It's no contest. I want to show you a photo, which I'm going to do in a minute. Don't show it yet. Okay. Reading the story and knowing that Luke's point is this. 
No matter the depth and the magnitude of your anguish and darkness, even if it's a demon, even if it has 6,000 of them, it doesn't matter. Nothing can stand against the power of Christ. Why? Because he is God Almighty. And if you find yourself living in the tombs, he will seek you out. And so reading the story about how strong this enemy is and chains and all the rest of it, and Jesus just, he just puts his foot out on the shore. He hasn't done, he hasn't even looked up yet. And the guy's already begging for mercy. I was reminded of, uh, I'm not a huge boxing fan, but there is this iconic photo in the boxing world, some of you might know, between Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. Right? They had met before, and they were about to meet again. And they was all trash talking as they do. You know, I'm stronger than you and all the rest of it. And there's this moment in the first round, Muhammad Ali goes and he just knocks this guy out. And then here's the photo. And this iconic photo. And, and interesting, what he was saying as he was standing over Sonny Listen, he was saying, get up and fight, sucker. <laughs> That's what his words. That's what he said. And when I read the story, this is the image in my mind. That's what I see. I've got a weird brain, I know, but that's what I see. I see Jesus knocking the darkness out in the first round. It's a no contest. The power differential is immense. And I'm reminded as I read the story of the power of Christ over darkness, over demons, it is simply no contest. And I'm reminded this is why David can say in Psalm 23, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And so I will go, Lord, through 2024, taken into the context of all that we've done the last few weeks. Even if I find myself in a storm on a lake, I will fear no evil because the power differential you are God Almighty. You will calm the storm. Even if I am, I've only got a few pieces of fish and bread and I have so much need, I will fear no evil because you will meet my needs because you are God Almighty. Even if I'm confronted with the darkest of days, a legion of demons, I will fear no evil because you will knock them out. Now, will you allow me to do pastoral application of this text for the year 2024 and the context and the society in which we find ourselves. So many of you will know that the last few months have not been easy for me and have been a bit of a struggle for me. And it was during this time that I came across this story again. So it was during this time when I was not preaching that I read this story. And I, and I read Mark's version of it. And I, and I read just again, verse 5, for example, night and day among the tombs, he cried out. And then I read Luke, verse 35, where after Jesus had cast out the demons of this guy, and it says there, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and then these words struck me, dressed and in his right mind. And I read the story with a different lens. 
I read the story from a different perspective. And it's from the perspective of mental health and mental well-being. That undoubtedly you cannot argue that here we are confronted with somebody who, who was experiencing extreme mental anguish. Whatever the cause, but the reality is he was experiencing mental anguish. And I just, and so I want to talk with you a little bit about mental well being and mental health. And I realize I've been a pastor for nigh on 30 years and I never have actually touched on this subject because it's not something that my generation speaks about. My generation grew up with suck it up. Be tough. Get on with it. But the longer I'm on this planet, the more I engage with people and the more I'm willing to be honest with myself, I realize that so many of us struggle at times with anxiety and depression. That, it, that so many of us are, are, more of us are afflicted by it than what we'd like to admit. Burnout, suicidal thoughts. And so I read the story and I go applying it pastorally into my own life. I read the story and I go, God, I read the story. Now, Lord, I don't have 6,000 demons in me. But I do have to say, Lord, at times I do feel like I'm living among the tombs. Lord, at times I do feel depressed and sad. At times I do feel anxious. At times I do feel overwhelmed. Tired. And a tired that comes that's far deeper than just a physical tiredness. But I just feel tired and exhausted. Wanting to run away. And it is then that I come and now, in the context of mental well being, that I apply the same truth of the story of the power differential. That, Lord, there is no darkness that I can face. No anxiety, no depression, no burnout, no suicidal thoughts. That is greater than the power of Jesus. So, I thought maybe it's appropriate to share with you a couple of signs. I'm not a medical expert, but I have lived and have read enough to, to say to you, maybe, but can I just maybe share some of these with you? Maybe you recognize some of them, and maybe it is then for you a sign that maybe you are, you know, busy moving from town to the to the graveside, to the tombs. You, 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 you are not there, but you're finding yourself in a space where you are maybe moving there. You are maybe living in survival mode. 
I notice it in, in sleeping patterns. Maybe your sleeping patterns are not quite what they should be. Maybe you're not sleeping as you should. Could be a sign, I don't know. You're not eating as you should. You don't know if you're sad or depressed. You're not sure, but you just know nothing seems to give you joy. And you find it hard to be happy. Could be a sign. You're tired all the time. No matter how much you sleep, you're tired all the time. Could be a sign that you are in survival mode. <laughs> 